Good morning, everyone here, and good morning to everybody at home. Um, it's lovely to be with you. Um, it looks really full in here this morning. It's really nice. There's lots of, lots of faces that I'm looking out at now that I'm seeing for the first time and some familiar faces too, so just welcome. Okay, so we are in the first chapter of Pete Gregg's book. Sophie, could I just... Thank you. This is Pete Gregg's book, for those of you who have not seen it, um, and it's called How to Pray. Um, this is the book that we're following. So we're not following the prayer course that Pete Gregg's done. We're following the book, and this is the first chapter of the book that we're going to talk about today. Um, and it follows on from Mike's introduction last week. So this week, we're looking at pause and about how we need to pause before we pray. Um, before I go on into my sermon, just to say, this book is about £10 to buy, and it is really accessible. It's a good read. Um, it's a good read for those who are coming to pray for the first time, but it's also a really good read for some of us that have been praying for many, many years and may have a comfortable prayer life. It just gives new insights and new understandings, um, so I'd really recommend it to you. And as well as this, online is the prayer course, um, and on there you'll find for each, each week, uh, each sermon and each chapter of the book, there's also some practical resources to help you with your prayer life. And again, there's some practical resources for people that are just starting out or struggling with their prayer life, and there's also some things for people that have been praying for a long time that just might want to do something different or experiment with the way that they pray. But I'd really recommend both of them for you. Thank you, Sophie. Um, prayer. It's one of the most important parts of our lives, isn't it? Um, for me, it's right up there. Um, you know, daily. I, I know how I feel when my prayer life's not great. I know how I feel when my prayer life is difficult or where, when it's a challenge to engage with God. Um, I have been praying myself for a long, long time. Um, so sometimes pray, prayer is easy and it's a joy and I come to it naturally and it's just amazing. But I do experience both. And my guess is for you here today and for you at home that over the last six months, even if you've been praying for the last 50 years, there have been times when it has been difficult to pray. I think we've all had that, you know, with, with COVID and the things that have been going on in our life, the why God question comes up, doesn't it? When people around us are ill or are losing their jobs, the why question comes up and our prayer life becomes a little bit more dis difficult. So I'm going to speak into that a little bit this morning. So whatever season we're in with prayer, there are always ways that we can improve it. There's always some way that we can make that relationship with our Heavenly Father just that bit fuller or to spend that little bit longer in his presence. We all want to enable that relationship. We want it to grow and we want it to flourish. And I'm hoping that over the next few weeks, this book, our sermons, our life groups and your own prayer life will enable you to do that, that when you get to the end of this sermon series, that you will look back and think, actually, I took a risk and I tried something new, or I spent just that little bit longer in prayer, or I chose a different prayer place, and for others it might be running, I've got a friend that runs um, and prays, that you, but you'll try a new way to engage with God or, or a different kind of prayer to, to help you in your prayer life. Okay. So now I'm going to go back to, um, back to the reading. Okay, so church and prayer. There can often be quite a lot of um, pressure to pray, can't there? You know, we hear we should be praying more. We should be praying longer. We should be praying better. 
And I haven't been in this church very long, but I have been in other churches. And I know that when your prayer life is, when you're in a desert season, that pressure, I should be praying, I should be praying longer, I'm not giving it enough time, I missed my prayer in the morning, the kids were in the way, or you know, I was distracted, or I just couldn't focus, or I prayed for myself and I should have prayed for someone else, or you know, whatever those things are that roam through our minds when we pray, they are there and they're very real. Or just, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know who to pray for. There were all of those things that get in the way. But let's change those messages. Let's put those messages aside for the next 15 minutes or so. Let's knock them back, all those shoulds and wants and desires, and let's just actually think about prayer because we all struggle with it. And we all want to pray better in whatever way better means for you. So today's reading is about prayer and patience. It's about that space that we come into before we pray. And we've just heard Bella tell us how, the, how Mary and the apostles go into the upper room and Jesus tells them to wait. They don't actually know what they're waiting for. They don't know how long they're going to be waiting. All they have been told is that they will receive this power from the Holy Spirit and that once they get this power, they'll be witnesses to, to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But my guess is they probably didn't really realize what that meant. What did the end of the earth mean for those disciples in that upper room? I guess they had no idea. Would it have been a few hours? Would it have been tomorrow? Maybe a few days? They wouldn't have known. And just like us, when we pray, we don't know when God answers that prayer. Is it a few days? Is it a few months? Or even is it a few years? Because God's timing is not our timing. I'm going to talk about an experiment. It's right back in the 1960s, but I heard about this experiment when I trained to be a social worker like 25 years ago. And I think a few of you will have seen it on YouTube or seen something similar. Back in the 1960s, there was a professor named Walter Mischel. I think I've pronounced that right, but Bella, I'm not sure if I have. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not good with... I'm dyslexic, Bella, so I get lots of things wrong lots of the time. He conducted lots of, of experiments, um, and there were psychological studies known as the marshmallow experiment. What would happen is a, re a researcher would put children in a room, and he would leave in front of the marshmallows, and he would tell them they couldn't eat the marshmallow, um, but if, and if they didn't, they would be rewarded with a second marshmallow. So out of the room he goes, and the, and the cameras film these children to see how they're tempted, and if they have the patience to wait. So the choice for the child was simple. One marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. But these poor children had 15 minutes in that room on their own. That's a lot of time, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know that I could have done it. Um, and as you can imagine, the footage was quite entertaining. Some kids just jumped up and grabbed the marshmallow and ate the first marshmallow as soon as that door closed. Others wiggled and bounced and scooted around on their chairs as they tried to restrain themselves, but eventually gave up to temptation a couple of minutes later. There were some children that did manage to wait the whole time. And the, the, result, the interesting result was not what happened then, but what happened later in the children's lives. And I'm going to come to that at the end of my sermon, and it is really interesting. But So just hold on to that idea of the marshmallow and the patience. So let's go back to Mary and the apostles in the upper room. They were there and they were devoting themselves to prayer. That's all they could do. There wasn't anything else. That's what they'd been told to do. 
this Holy Spirit's coming. They're going to go to the ends of the earth. They don't know what that means, so they're there and they're praying. And I want to ask you about another lady who I think many of you will know, and maybe some of you at home will know too. Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch Christian sent to a concentration camp for hiding Jews. One thing that she said that I didn't know that she had said until I wrote this sermon, which I find really interesting, is this. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tyre? Is prayer your steering wheel? Does it drive your car or is it back in the boot as your spare tyre that's there on reserve? And I'm really grateful I've got a spare tyre in my car, but actually I don't want to use it. I've never had to use it, luckily. Um, but I do keep it there just in case. But my steering wheel, on the other hand, wow, you know, we couldn't get anywhere without it, could we? So like a steering wheel, prayer is not just there for emergencies. It's there as a part of our everyday life. And someone else that um, I looked at when I was looking at this sermon was St. Francis of Assisi. Now, I don't really often look at St. Francis of Assisi's work, but I came across this, and this really, really, um, it, it just really touched me. So he says, we should not seek so much to pray as to become prayer. So those disciples in that room were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And maybe we need to ask, how central is prayer to our lives? Are we becoming prayer? Is it our steering wheel? Because prayer is just as important to us as the breath in our body. It's right up there. And we need that connection with God just as much as we need oxygen to stay alive. So let's take, some, take a look at some ways that we can dive deeper into prayer in our everyday lives. And whilst we do this, let's remember we don't pray alone. We might be alone in our prayer physically, but we don't pray alone. The apostles were gathered in the upper room and they had Mary and other women with them. And they were together in their prayer. And we, when we pray, even though we may be alone, are praying together as the Lantern Church and as a body of Christians on this earth, but also remembering all of those people that have gone to before us that we know, but going right back to Abraham and Moses that pray with us too. So we're not alone when we pray. I think the first thing to say, and this comes from um, Pete Gregg's book, is finding a place to pray is quite important. Um, we hear, you know, working from home during lockdown um, meant for many of us that our home situations changed. Even not working from home, just being at home all of the time meant the dynamics in family changed as well or in our relationships. And maybe having a place to pray became more difficult. You know, um, I'm reminded that when we're working from home, maybe we dress more casually and we would sit on our laptop in shorts or even in our pyjamas, if we weren't talking to anyone else, that the dynamics of how we worked and how we lived changed during COVID. And I'd like to say that maybe the dynamics of how we prayed did too. And I'm wondering, if we work in our pyjamas, is our productivity lower? I don't know. It's just a, a question I, I kind of thought of. And God makes us to be physical body human beings. He created us to be bodily human beings. And he designed us to worship. He did all this because we are physical people. Our bodies are part of who we are. 
And so when we adjust our physical circumstances, when we're working from home and we have that readjustment, it affects our mental and spiritual circumstances too. Sat in our pyjamas at a computer working is very difficult for our emotional well-being than being in an office surrounded by all our colleagues. And again, as someone else that I think, well, I know many of you know, Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mother, had a lot of children, and she had to find that place to pray, that place that helped her change her spiritual and emotional well-being. And she didn't have a place, so she would sit and she would put a towel over her head to actually create that place where she would change her physical being to enable her emotional and spiritual being to connect with God. So I want to ask you, where is your physical place of prayer that enables you to physically change, your, change the state of being that enables you to emotionally and uh, spiritually connect with God? Do you light a candle before you pray? Do you go for a walk on your own quietly? Do you kneel by your bed, as a lot of us were taught when we were children to do? Whatever your place of prayer is, it's an important place because it changes the way you are spiritually and emotionally. Having a pattern to prayer is also important. And the early Christians prayed to the Psalms and, to, and over Bible readings. And that came from the pattern of synagogue worship at the time of Jesus. And it developed and it moved on and monks changed things and a morning and an evening prayer that some of you have begun to experiment with in lockdown came from that, myself included. I love morning and evening prayer. I never thought I'd ever say that, but I love it. <laughs> and it's that pattern. So for me, it's that pattern of being up in the morning and praying with other people, but in the evening, coming together and praying. It's that, that routine um, that sustains us. But it doesn't have to be that pattern, does it? You know, I talked with my life group this week about prayer. And many of, uh, many of us use the Lord's Prayer when we pray. And I introduced that as an idea, just praying through the different lines of the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus doesn't care what pattern we use, does he? The reason we need a pattern and the reason we need a prayer place is for us, not for him. The pattern helps us to, to pray in a balanced way and not to get bored in our prayer life. It helps to give us a focus. It helps to keep our minds engaged with God when sometimes they may drift off into other things. So the third thing I want to say is practice makes perfect. If you decide over the next few weeks to make changes to your prayer life, whatever they may be, no matter how small or how big, practice will make perfect. But don't put it off. Don't wait to the end of the prayer course to make a change because as we know, if you put off to tomorrow what you think you could do today, sometimes you never get to it. So I just want to encourage you over the next week that if there is something you feel that would help you or a place or a type of prayer or having a prayer partner or whatever that is for each of you, I'd just like to encourage you to actually get on and do that and to try it out. Just dive in. Just give it a go. And it doesn't matter how long we do this new thing for. Whether it's a few minutes or whether it's longer, it doesn't matter. And I'm not a very patient person. I like morning and evening prayer because they give me structure and they give me something to focus on. When I pray on my own, I end up going off on a tangent. So I'm going to come back to that experiment now, the marshmallow experiment. Many years later, as the years rolled on, the children grew up and the researchers went back and followed them up. They tracked each child's progress in a number of areas and what they found was surprising. 
the children who delayed their gratification, who waited to receive that second marshmallow, ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills, as reported by their parents. And generally, they were better in, in, in lots of ranges of other life measures. So teaching ourselves patience affects everything in our life. So the disciples, they didn't know it was going to be nine days up in that upper room. They just waited and prayed until the Holy Spirit came. And God's timing is not our timing. Let's look at Joseph. He was given dreams as a kid that weren't achieved till decades and decades later. Or Abraham, who was in his 70s by the time he became a father. God's timing is not our timing. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next few weeks or even over the next few months. But we can trust that God's timing is perfect timing. And when we pause and when we reflect on our prayer life, when we just come back to it and just reflect on a little bit, reflect on where we're praying and how we're praying and what we use to pray, just taking that pause before we pray. So as we go on over the next few weeks more into the, the How to Pray book by Pete Gregg, just use this opportunity as we, before we go into that to reflect on your prayer life, to reflect on what's working for you and what, and what isn't, and be encouraged to take the risk to make some changes. They could be tiny changes, they could be really big changes, but be encouraged to just try some things out. Because as you go on with, this, with, the, pre, with the How to Pray book and the sermons each week, I'm sure that they will um, enable you and equip you to improve your prayer life just to end I didn't use Slido today I wanted to I was going to bring begin my sermon with prayer life and to ask you how you felt about your prayer life at the moment but the questions I was going to ask were quite personal so I decided not to but it might be worth today just taking an inventory of your prayer life for yourself and figuring out just where you are on, on your own inventory. And then it would be interesting to compare that to at the end of, the, of our sermon series and to see you know, how God has blessed you and how you've made those changes and how your relationship, your prayer relationship is with him. And I hope and I pray for each one of us here and for each one of us at home that through this sermon series that our prayer lives will be really blessed um, and will, be, will be, just be really blessed. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for letting me speak, and I'm going to pass you back over to Sarah.